Now let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here. We, we thank you that this is the living word of God sent from heaven to save us, to heal us, to correct us, to keep us on the straight and narrow path of blessing. So Lord, we know you have something to say to each and every heart tonight. We're listening. Lord, help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to hear your message to our hearts and put that truth into practice so we can be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have a building to dedicate tonight, and that would be Solomon's temple. And why don't we start with the cutaway slide to refresh your memories of what we're talking about. King uh, David's dream, a glorious temple, a house for the Lord has come to pass. And uh, David's heir, King Solomon, his son, has completed the task. Now, uh, David provided the materials and the funds and even the plan, the Bible says. Um, And then Solomon uh, and 183,000 laborers worked how many years, do you remember? Seven years, very good. Quarrying stone and felling cedar and uh, crafting the interior and the exterior. It wasn't very big by uh, standards today, but it was very lavish and, and uh, very, uh, had a lot of uh, majestic qualities about it. And so, you know, and it's not just a boring old building, you know, from ancient days. It tells the whole John 3.16 story. It tells the story of our salvation. And we've talked about this before, but really quickly, you know, tonight... All Israel is gathered, and we're going to pick up where we left off, that they were already gathered, and Solomon had already begun to address the crowd. And here's the temple, and it tells the whole salvation story that the Lamb of God was sacrificed as a blood sacrifice for our sins. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says that without the shedding of blood, no forgiveness possible. And so we see Jesus here on the altar a thousand years from this time. Then we've got the the water of cleansing when Jesus on that night he was betrayed. John 15 verse 3 said, you are clean by the word I have spoken. And so every part of this just tells the gospel. I mean, we could go on and you're familiar. uh, The light of the menorah Jesus saying in John chapter 8 and verse 12, I'm the light of the world. If anybody anybody follows me, they will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So again, testifying about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then the um, showbread on the tables. I am the bread of life, the bread of heaven. He who eats of this bread, even if he die, yet shall he live. John chapter 6. Uh, beautiful. Then the altar of incense there, 24-7, just going up, the, the, uh, symbolizing the intercession that Jesus makes on our behalf as our high priest. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, God is able to save completely those who draw near to God through Christ because Christ ever lives to make intercession for them. And so you just have this beautiful picture of Jesus always interceding on our behalf. And then, of course, the dreaded uh, curtain there is removed. 
But that dreaded curtain, the separation between sinful man and holy God. I like Isaiah 59 and verse 2. It says, but your sins have come between you and your God, and by your evil doings, his face has been veiled from you so that he will give you no answer. Isaiah 59 and verse 2, as I said. And then, of course, that separated where the Ark of the Covenant, where the blood once a year on the Day of Atonement would be applied to the cover of the chest or Ark of the Covenant. The Covenant was the Ten Commandments that was inside. The blood went on top and atonement was made. And God said, that's the place that I speak. That's the place I meet. It's, on the, it's a shadow of the throne there. So you've got the whole gospel story. Even the pillars were named, pillar one and pillar two. For God, uh, Jacob, God establishes. Jesus said, whoever listens to my word and puts my word into practice, he will be like a person who builds their life on the foundation. When the wind and the rains come against that, the storms of this life, You'll stand because you built on the rock. And so really, the, that's the story of one of the pillars. The other one is, is uh, Boaz. He will strengthen. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So not a, just an ancient building. It's your story. It's our story. And Jesus, when he comes on the scene, he's going to stand in the temple, John chapter 2, and say, verse 19, and say to the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees destroy this temple. He's in the temple. He is the temple. He's the fulfillment of the whole deal. And he says, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it up in three days. Well, he wasn't talking about the physical temple. He was saying, all of this, all of this is fulfilled right here in the incarnation of God himself laying his life down on the altar, cleansing us of our sins, providing us the bread, providing us the light, tearing that curtain in, into two pieces, right? The whole gospel story right here being dedicated before our very eyes. In Matthew chapter 27, Jesus breathes his last breath and bam, the curtain is torn from top to bottom, signifying who did the tearing. Nobody could tear that. I mean, it was as thick as a man's hand, uh, 30 feet wide, 60 feet high. It, 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 it took 300 priests to maneuver that curtain. And so it was a big deal, the whole story. So now, nobody's ever used it yet. It's the day, it's opening ceremonies in 1 Kings chapter 8. And so he's already addressed the people. Let me uh, back up so that you know what's going on. The last time, verses 1 through 11, uh, once the Ark of the Covenant was installed, and, and we could probably have lights now, that can go away. That'd be nice. I saw people groping around in darkness, and I just said, whoever follows Jesus shall never grope around in dark, so we can't have that. <laughs> so the first 11 verses, if you recall, um, uh, the Ark of the Covenant was brought in. So it was kind of like bringing in the engine, okay? They had all the parts, but they didn't have the heartbeat, the presence of the living God as represented, of course, by the Ark of the Covenant or his throne. And so that came in, and you remember, uh, there was a big uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. God's presence filled the place so that everybody standing around would know this. 
This isn't about some religion and some building. This is about a, a powerful being who can transform you. And, and so they saw the Shekinah glory. So whoever came after that in those days to worship the Lord knew that there was a presence that could make a difference. It wasn't just a, a new philosophy or what I should do or shouldn't do or a list of do's and don'ts. Dead, dead, dead. Religion is dead. But when you see the power of God come into a person's heart and make the, change them from Mary Magdalene, the town, I'm sorry, hooker, to the first witness of the Lord's resurrection, then we know we're not dealing with some religious, new philosophy, do's and don'ts. We're talking about a living encounter with the living God. All right, so that was verses 1 through 11. 12 through 21, Solomon gets up. The glory is shining. So he gets up and he says, hey, everybody, uh, this cloud represents God's dwelling. This is the Lord, he's saying. And he said, remember, he said he would abide in the cloud of glory. So he reminds them about uh, that out of Exodus 19. And then Solomon blesses the congregation of Israel. He's going to do that again in the prayer. Uh, and so now, picking up in verse 22, we're ready for a very long prayer of dedication. Oh, we're going to take it in chunks, so it won't be as that long. But I do have right here, and you don't have to turn the lights off, but I do have an outline of how the rest, that's what was going on while Solomon was talking. And, and now we have the rest of the chapter. I know some of you take notes and this is helpful. Okay, this is how it's gonna uh, flow now. Uh, the prayer, the long prayer has a general theme opening for about eight verses or so. And then there are six requests in the prayer. All right? But they're all strung together by one common theme, which you're gonna find out in just about 10 seconds. Uh, then there's a blessing. Then he gives the benediction. Okay, benediction is just a Latin, from the Latin, which means to bless, all right? And then the celebration, the party, all right? There's the big sacrificing and the big feast of dedication. So that's how the chapter unfolds. You ready to go? Amen, hello. <laughs> okay, you know, so when I say you're ready to go, you have to say amen, okay, ready? You ready to go? Amen. Okay. Verse 1, then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love, that word is hesed in the Hebrew, we're going to talk about that, means mercy, loving kindness. You keep your mercy, your love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised and with your hand you, you have fulfilled it as it is today. Now, Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, you shall never fail to have a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons are careful in all they do to walk before me as you have done. And now, O God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. 
But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, O Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day, this place of which you said, my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place, hear the supplication, the asking, the the pleading of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, hear from heaven your dwelling place, your true dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Now let's pause there. Overall, that's the general theme that I told you about. Here's the general theme. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Thank you for that. We don't need the theme anymore, but thank you. The theme, meeting with God, is all about mercy. Uh, What is it that underpins your relationship with God and the promises of eternal life and life with our Jesus Christ. What is it? It's, it's one word. It's all about mercy. And that's what this prayer of dedication is about. So first he gives the theme. He says this is all about uh, receiving and asking and looking for the mercy of the Lord. Isaiah 55, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. And that wonderful word there in verse 23, you keep your covenant of love. You keep it. Goodness, mercy, kindness, love. That's all wrapped up in one beautiful Hebrew word. You know, love is so weak in English. It just, you know, you love your car, you love your wife, you love God, you love pizza, you love Chinese food, (laughs) right? Come on. But these other languages, they have these rich words. And hesed, love, loving kindness is wonderful. Grace has been defined as getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. This entire prayer... Just, just, I don't know, 40 verses of prayer is about the mercy of God, needing it so desperately. In fact, the rest of the whole prayer is going to be different uh, six requests, all having to do with the different instances where we need God's mercy, where Israel's going to mess up and we're going to need you here and there. Forgive us when we are faithless. Uh, Have mercy when we sin against you. Have mercy when we're rebellious. Have mercy. And so the whole prayer is is saying, we're going to blow it. Everything uh, underpinning our relationship with you is based on your good favor and your mercy, and we need it. Uh, And so uh, it opens up, verse 22 there. He says, there's no God like you. there's nobody as loving and faithful as you are to bless us. Now, now listen, here's what tells you the whole prayer is going to be about mercy and needing mercy. The whole idea of the temple and meeting with God is about finding mercy. The first sentence gives it away. You keep your wonderful love to all those who walk wholeheartedly with you. Uh-oh, <laughs> Uh Uh-oh, to everybody in this room, uh uh-oh, 
right? Because nobody in this room, really, we have seasons of that. But all of us have problems walking wholeheartedly. So if you're making a condition for receiving your, your love, this promise of love based on wholehearted devotion, we're all going to be in a lot of trouble. And that's why all the rest of the prayer is mercy, 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 mercy. So uh, if I paraphrase 24 and 25, we know how great you are. You keep all your promises. You kept it to my father, David. You said he'd have a son and you build the temple. And look, here we are. And then 26 and 27. By the way, uh, we know that you're faithful and we're not, God. And we know that you don't really live in this little house that I have built. The highest heavens can't continue. Uh, and, and so uh, you're nobody to mess around with. That's what that kind of means. And then 28 through 30, we know you are the great almighty God. We know our own hearts are rebellious, sinful, and unfaithful. So please hear our prayers and look on this place and have mercy. Now, this look on this place, this place, this place. Well, we're going to be hearing 10 times this place, this place, this place, and then link it to the mercy that's available to us. Well, this place is the whole picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and the blood sacrifice. So linking, finding mercy and favor to this place isn't about this magic building, this sacred building that all all of us are gonna worship. He's saying this place is sacred because it represents the blood that is spilled that connects us and makes us right to the living God. And so, uh, by the way, this entire prayer is based off a promise in Deuteronomy 30, 1 through 10, that, that has God promising how to, that he would restore anybody who falls away from him and then repents and confesses their sin. And so, did you know that kings had to make their own private copy of Deuteronomy? It was important in God that the king knew Deuteronomy. So, so Solomon has Deuteronomy, and he quotes from it all the time. In fact, this prayer is point for point, Deuteronomy 28, Deuteronomy 29, Deuteronomy 30. You just find it from 28 to 30 in the prayer And what he's saying is he's holding God accountable to God's own promise that if we sin and fall away, look at this place, this place where the blood is spilled, and have mercy upon us. And then that's just just the gist of the prayer. So in short, he's saying, overflowing heart with thankfulness, emotion. He says, you deserve a demand, wholehearted devotion. We fall way short of that. Lord, have mercy as you've promised uh, because the blood on this altar has been spilled. And so that's the overall theme. So let's, now he's gonna say, Lord, and there are six ways that we're gonna need that mercy. And so he's a realist. He knows how Israel is and he knows his own heart. So the first thing in 31 and 32, if you're taking notes, uh, the first thing that comes to mind where he's gonna, we're gonna need God's mercy is sinning against one another. So he says in 31, when a man wrongs his neighbor and is required to take an oath and he comes and swears the oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven, I love that, the other pagan deities, they lived in their houses. But Solomon just says, come on. We know this is just kind of a simple thing. 
You did fill it. We know you're here, but we know you're in heaven and you fill the highest heavens. Then hear from heaven and act. Judge between your servants, condemning the guilty and bringing down on his own head what he has done. Declare the innocent not, gui- declare the innocent not guilty and so establish his innocent. Okay? So if you're taking notes, the first reason he's going to ask for mercy is when we mess up with one another. All right? So in the gabillion offenses that happen, between brothers and sisters, in the Lord, in the congregation of Israel, in the congregation of God's people. Uh, Always relational fallouts, squabbles. Uh, He says, here's his prayer. We need your mercy to to intervene when there's interpersonal problems. Uh, Expose the guilty. Bring truth to light. Help truth and love to prevail. Vindicate the innocent uh, party or the victim. I'm really... Uh, like that. So uh, what's he saying? He's thinking, you know, everybody is seeing the glory of God in all this beautiful place, and we're going to go back to our places in life, and what's going to happen? You know, he stole my ox, and then, or uh, she was unfaithful to me, or he overcharged me for this, or she slandered me about that. He took my shovel. He never brought it back. She never paid me for whatever it was, right? So Solomon's saying, these things are going to happen. Have mercy on us. Help us to work it out. Somehow, perhaps with the local priests, what, what they would do is take an oath by the temple. And God would make sure that, that the truth was vindicated. So they would swear them. They'd they'd swear them by the temple, by the presence, by the blood. And God would honor that. Oh, we don't really know how, but God would make sure that uh, the truth would be known. When we were kids, we would blaspheme all the time. I was raised in a non-Christian home. Uh, If you really, really wanted someone to believe you, when I was a kid, we would say, swear to God, die in my sleep. So we, we would run around. I don't know how any of me and my three siblings are alive to this day. We would just say, swear to God, die in my sleep. But that was the highest level you could go. You know, you had triple black curtains and all other things you could do, right? But that was the deal. Well, the rabbis had taken this to such a level that when Jesus got on the scene, they were swearing by the gold in the temple. Oh, I'm not swearing by the gold in the temple. I'm swearing by the the cherubim in the temple. He said, you know what? I got an idea for you. Matthew chapter 5. He says, why don't you all just tell the truth? I don't know. Just the concept. I just think you, you won't need, you won't need to just let you, like your yes be yes and your no be no and then let's move forward. You know, Jesus is very practical that way. And so he, Jesus discouraged that uh, from happening anymore. Solomon's saying, look, we're standing before this glorious temple. We're all going to sing songs and everything. But you've got a problem with, with somebody sitting next to you. Why bother? What, what? Jesus said, if you're at the tie box, you're writing out your check. You know what? And then you think, you know what? Oh, somebody's got something against me because I've offended them. Why don't you just don't write the check, go back in your car, go home, Make it right with whoever it is that you've offended. 
then come back and talk to me and raise your hands and worship and all of that. Because right now, you're out of whack with somebody and uh, really, it's, it's not right. This is very important to God. We just think, this is all that matters. And everybody else, you know, whatever. Right? Uh, no, 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 no. As far as it concerns you, on your end, you're to do your part. There are some things you just can't do, right? I mean, it depends on them. So uh, that's important. The second request for mercy. When we're suffering because of our own sins. So he says, number one, God, please give us mercy because we just can't always get along. We need your discernment. We need your help. Uh, and number two now, verses 33 and 34. Uh, when we're suffering because we've sinned against you. When your people Israel, verse 33, have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and confess your name, praying and making supplication to you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land you gave to their fathers. So number two is... Mercy for when we've blown it, we're suffering, and it's our own fault. Now, often, not always, but the source of our own troubles is our own sin. You know the hymn, and we quote it a lot here, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it right here. To, feel, to leave the God I love, uh, but God will make a way show us when we're suffering, and that suffering causes the crazy cycle of uh, pain, repentance, confession, blessing, sin, pain, chastisement, repentance, blessing, sin, right? The crazy cycle that we all know. He says, have mercy on us. Check these four things out, by the way. You don't just get free mercy. There's four things. Turn back, confess, praying, make supplication. Two little sentences, four things that are important to God. So he just doesn't take it for granted like, hey, it's your job to forgive me when I sin. I'm a sinner. You're a forgiving God. Do your thing. Uh, you know, some people are like that. Okay, moving on to the third request. Uh, merciful relief for some of those consequences of sin. 35 through 40. Now, when the heavens are shut up, so he's still standing there with his hands stretched out. Later we find out he stands up from kneeling, so he has knelt during this prayer sometime, but the hands are still stretched and he's praying. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you, and when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sins because you've afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance. When famine or plague comes to the land or blight, disease or mildew, locusts, grasshoppers, or when an enemy besieges them in any of their cities, whatever disaster or disease may come, and when a prayer or plea is made by any of your people Israel, each one aware of the afflictions of his own heart, 
and spreading out his hands toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, forgive and act, deal with each person according to all that they do, since you know their hearts, for you alone know the hearts of all men, so that they will fear you all the time they live in the land you gave our fathers. And so Solomon's plea when Israel's hurting because of Israel's own sins. Verse 35, I love it, number one, then. When things dry up and God gets your attention and when we respond, may you restore blessing. So he's saying this. Sadly, God, we know that you have to get our attention sometimes with hard circumstances, and he does. Not always, are, like I said, is it is our hard adverse times a result of sinning, but many times things dry up because God wants to get our attention. I've told you many times that unfortunately in my mid-30s I got hurt in the ministry and I had a hard heart and I started to blame God. I didn't want to be in ministry anymore. I was a mess and uh, the radiologist called my house and uh, I had a routine chest x-ray. This is how the whole cancer thing started. Um, and the radiologist asked me, uh, what's your problem? And I said, it's routine, it's routine, just go away. And he said, no, you have a problem. I said, no, I don't. It's just for jo- it's work-related. He goes, no, you have a problem. You have a big tumor in your chest. And I promise you before God, in my mind, the whole room was spinning and I could hear in my head, do I have your attention now? I heard it in my head, it was ringing. And I said under my breath, while I'm on the phone to the radiologist, yes, you do. I said it out loud because it was so obvious to me. It was so obvious this is connected to the way I'm going. And the Lord's saying, you remember me? Well, he tried so many different ways to kind of bring healing and reconciliation, and I just hardened my heart. And the Lord said, okay, yeah. You want to talk? I was like, I'm all ears. <laughs> I'm all ears. I'm all ears. Verse 36. I love what he says. Could you just teach us the right way to live and not live in crisis Christianity Oh, I'm really holy and I'm praying and I'm reading my Bible when things dry up. <laughs> and when the, uh, the radiologist says, hey man, what's that mass at the center of your chest? You know, oh, suddenly, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I'm in its service every time the doors are open. He says, could you just teach your people to live the right way consistently, wholeheartedly, day by day, without having to get the paddle smacked down and then go through the whole crazy cycle uh, over and over again. That's verse 36. Verse 38, he says, uh, help us each own our own actions. Oh, I love verse 38. He says that everybody can just take responsibility for their own stuff. I love in marriage counseling to say, and I know there's a couple, one I see here, half of that couple is going to come for marriage counseling. And one of the things I say is, could you just each be responsible for your own stuff? Could you just have your own relationship with God and take care of all your little problems that you brought into the marriage? 
Could you just bow before God every morning and in the evening and deal with your own wicked heart before God? That will really bless the marriage if both of you were doing that. Each of you owning your own stuff. That's what verse 38's about. Uh, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3. A man's own folly ruins his life yet his heart rages against the Lord. We always, Israel wants to blame everybody, including God, because that's how we are. You know, the Lord came to Eve and said, what's up, Eve, what did you do? And she said, the serpent. <laughs> and then she, he looks over at Adam and says, Adam. <laughs> Adam says, the woman <laughs> you gave me. Oh, a double one, Adam. Oh, man, that's what we do. So verse 38 is, could, Lord, in your mercy, could you just teach us to get out of the crazy cycle by living consistently and just loving you day in and day out? 39 and 40, uh, help each one of us have our own personal relationship with you. I really like verse 39. Deal with each person according to what they do. So he's seeing this in front of them, right? So what is he telling the congregation? He's saying, I know it's so easy for you to sit there in the group and hide. Like, uh, you know, I'm just in the group. I'm doing my thing. Nobody knows. In fact, some people like the larger the church because they can hide better, you know? So he's saying in verse 39, each person must have a personalized relationship with you, Lord, help them to know that. That, you know, in the end, we do say our Father, and we are a congregation, but in the end, every person stands before the throne of God. Romans chapter 14, everybody will give an account to the, God, to, to the Lord, God says in Romans 14. And so we go on. We just find it easy to think of our get lost in the crowd. In short, then, this section is saying, uh, so mercy, when we have made a mess of things, please give us mercy when we've messed up, and mercy to learn from the tough times that come as a result and to learn to live consistently before you. Number fourth request for mercy for those outside the family of faith, 41 through 43. He's still praying. As for the foreigner who doesn't belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for men will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm when he comes and prays toward this temple. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as uh, do your own people Israel and may, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. And so um, it's nice to pray for what we want and need, but it's also nice to pray for what God wants. And what God wants is it's not just about your temple, your building, and your blessing, Israel. Solomon is acknowledging, we get it. You're blessing us, and you're blessing us with this temple. You're enabling us to grow as a congregation so that we can be a light to those you love in the world. 
And so we could take a lesson from that uh, for sure. Blessed to be a blessing. The Western church gets this wrong a lot. We just, you know, we just keep thinking about us and God, and God is blessing me, blessing me, blessing me. The reason he blesses is so that we can be a blessing. That's why. And so, you know what we've been praying about as a staff is connecting our next move to a project, as I've mentioned before, like a project in China. To say, you know, we're not all about raising support just so that we can have a nice new big building, which I hope we get. But I want to tie a beautiful benevolent act of mercy towards somebody else because that's why God brings in the tithes and the offerings to bless, not just us. Amen? So that's what, that's what he's acknowledging, that we know it's not just about our congregation. Okay, finally, five and six come really fast. We'll put them together. Okay, uh, number five is don't ever let us think that we're too far out there. So 44 and 45. When your people go to war against their enemies, wherever you send them, and when they pray to the Lord toward the city you've chosen and the temple I've built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea and uphold uh, their cause. You know, we all have abandonment issues, right? We really do. Uh, we always feel like this is the one time God isn't going to see me through. And Solomon is acknowledging here, he's saying, sometimes it feels like we're way out there. We're not anywhere near Israel or your people. We're just out there. But the Lord, the Lord says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Where could I go from his spirit? Psalm 139. Where could I run from your presence? If I take the wings of the morning, you're there in heaven. If, if I make my bed in the depths, there you are. If I settle on the, on the far side of the sea, even there your hand shall guide me. Your right hand shall hold me fast. And so that's an acknowledgement. God just is, is everywhere you are. <laughs> he is. Not to hunt you down to judge you, but to hold you and uphold you. That's what that verse is about. So let's finish up here with the sixth request. Uh, now it's a list of calamities caused by their own sin again. So when they sin against you, for there's no one who doesn't sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to the enemy who takes them captive to his own land, far away or near, which that happens several times, and if they have a change of heart in that land where they're held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their conquerors and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong. This is kind of prophetic. Solomon's kind of feeding them the lines that they're going to need. We have acted wickedly. Verse 48, and if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive and pray to you toward the land, you gave their fathers toward the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name. Then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear the prayer and their plea and uphold their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Forgive all the offenses they have committed against you and cause, and cause their conquerors to show them mercy. 
for they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt, out of that iron-smelting furnace. May your eyes be open to your servant's plea and to the plea of your people Israel, and may you listen to them whenever they cry out to you. Verse 53, for you singled them out from all of nations of the world to be your own inheritance just as you declared through your servant Moses when you, O sovereign Lord, brought our fathers out of Egypt. So as he's wrapping up his prayer, his mind goes back to the, what's weighing on his heart. Uh, here's the paraphrase, real simple. Lord, in closing, now in prayer, we're all sinners through and through. We all get off track. Who doesn't? We mess things up. We feel the pain. We cry out. We repent. We confess. Please forgive. Please forgive. Please forgive. That's the message here. But I love how he closes out, reminding God how much he loves us and saying, well, you know, Lord, you picked us. We're like your treasure. Who else do you have on the earth? We're like the only people you got, really. <laughs> you, you chose us. We're your people. Yeah, we act up, and yeah, we fall short. But I just want to remind you, Solomon's saying, oh, and reminding them, he's going to come through because we're the apple of his eye. Yeah, we don't deserve any of it. And every day we give him reasons to run 150,000 million gazillion miles the other way. That's a big distance. <laughs> But he doesn't because of his great love for us. He says, you're the apple of my eye. I've engraven you in my hands. And of course, that's prophetic. When he looks down and sees the scars, just says, hey, man, that's how much I love you. And so in short, may this place that bears your name inspire us to live for you. And when we fall short, suffer and repent, May this place that bears your name inspire us to find hope. That's the kernel crux of the prayer. Time for closing benediction. So now he's going to get up and bless them. But it's kind of more like an exhortation. All right, so let's read it real fast, 54 to 61. Okay, he's going to bless them now. So when Solomon had finished all these prayers and supplications to the Lord, he rose from before the altar of the Lord where he had been kneeling with his hands spread out toward heaven. He stood and he blessed the whole assembly of Israel in a loud voice saying, praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he never leave us or forsake us. May he turn our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations he gave our fathers. And may these words of mine, which I have prayed before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, that he may uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel according to each day's need, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. But your hearts must be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. 
So there's the, the blessing. Now, there's just something to say here about kneeling when you pray. That's where we get kneeling is from the Bible. Ezra prayed on his knees, Ezra 9.5. The psalmist called us to kneel, Psalm 95, verse 6. Daniel prayed on his knees, Daniel 6.10. People came to Jesus kneeling, Matthew 17.14, and a whole ton of others. Stephen prayed on his knees, Acts 7, verse 60. Peter prayed on his knees, Acts 9, verse 40. Paul prayed on his knees, Acts 20, 36, Ephesians 3, 14, and other places. And other early Christians prayed on their knees, Acts 21, verse 5. Most importantly, Jesus prayed on his knees, Luke 22 and 41. Praying on your knees isn't required because we see other ways to pray. But it's, you certainly can build a case that it's a good thing. I find that my prayers are different when I pray on my knees. It just changes the posture, the tone. I find sometimes when I lay prostrate, face down, some of the best times of prayer. It just tells your brain and your heart, let's get in line, let's get serious here. Let's, let's just accept the fact that you are talking to the God of the universe and you have fallen way short. It's just a good thing to do, kneeling, lifting hands, all through the Bible, lifting hands, lifting hands. Beautiful to help your heart come after your body by the decision of your will to be biblical when we approach him. So can I just sum up the blessing? He's saying, may we enjoy your rest. May we rely on your promises. May the world see you by the way we live. May we look to you for every good thing that we need every day. And may we love God with all our hearts. That's the focus. I wrote down here the meaning of life in his benediction. Here's the meaning of life. Walking with God in obedience, enjoying his peace, trusting in his promises, loving and serving him gladly and helping others know him. The meaning of life. I'm excited. Let's finish up. 62. And we'll be done. Last paragraph. Okay, time for the, the party, the celebration. Then the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. Solomon offered a sacrifice of fellowship offerings to the Lord. 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. You, you do realize most of Israel's hanging out there. All right, so there are a lot of mouths to feed. So the king and all the Israelites dedicated the temple of the Lord on that same day, the king consecrated the middle part of the courtyard in front of the temple of the Lord, and there he offered burnt offerings, grain offerings, and the fat of the fellowship offerings, because the bronze altar before the Lord was too small to hold the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat of the fellowship offerings. So Solomon observed the festival at that time, and all Israel with him, a vast assembly People from Libo Hamath 
to the Wadi of Egypt. It's a long way. They celebrated it before. That was a joke, because I have no idea how far that was. <laughs> it sounds very far. They celebrated it before the Lord our God for seven days and seven days more, 14 days in all. On the following day, he sent the people away. They blessed the king, and they went home, joyful, glad in their heart for all the good things the Lord had done for his servant David and his people Israel. So let's talk about this final celebration. Sacrifices served two purposes, spiritual and practical, all right? So one was spiritual, to make atonement. So you bring in your animal, you confess your sins on the head of the animal, or whatever it is you were doing. But, uh, and then blood atonement, covered your sins, you were right with God. Then a portion of that offering, whether it be a grain offering or a meat offering or whatever you brought, a portion was given unto God, unto the priests, for their living, and also to share with you. And so there was a communal meal afterwards, and nothing said you were right with God like sitting down in the presence of God's reps and his presence and enjoying a meal because no longer was there enmity between you and God. So the practical part then is we got to feed these people. It provides food for the for the meal. So it wasn't just like this bloodbath at Slaughterhouse. It was a butcher shop, and they were going to have a big barbecue with a spiritual significance, and that's exactly what happened. There was a, a steak barbecue and, uh, and lamb, I guess, and some other things. And that sounds very good right about now. Amen? <laughs> now, Solomon wisely planned it around a holiday anyway, so they had 14 days off. It's a beautiful time. It's the feast of Sukkot in Hebrew, tabernacles, uh, commemorating the time God dwelt with them in their wanderings and provided for them every last thing. So they would build little shelters or booths. King James calls it booths, but they were just tents. And they'd camp out for a week and have like Thanksgiving. It's a lot of fun. And so the dedication of the temple was coincided with this holiday. And so it's just... They left with their tummies filled, their hearts overflowing. And here's the part that just makes me sad. It wasn't very long before Solomon starts going south. And as Solomon's going south after this beautiful thing, Solomon starts deviating. And with him, all of Israel. And then what comes down? The smackdown. And then, that's, <laughs> then we're in this prayer again. And you know what? Luckily for them, I, he was prophetically giving them the words to say when they would mess up. And they would mess up and they had the words right there to say. You know what? Reflections for me. Number one, I'm really glad that I have new birth. I'm really glad I live in the new covenant where the Holy Spirit has come into me and that I want to obey him. That's half the battle. Before I was a Christian, I had no desire for God or Christianity to change the way I lived. I liked my sin. But now the Holy Spirit comes in and he, he makes you want to. Not only does he make you want to, but he gives you the ability to be enabled to keep those commands, to love God. And so that's the first thing. I read that and just thought, thank you, God, for saving me from that cycle of crazy. 
And number two, when I do fall into the cycle of crazy, Romans 7, I do the very thing I hate, the very thing I hate, I end up doing. What is wrong with me? How crazy am I? Uh, who is going to save me from this body of death? Thank you, Jesus, that he does, that he makes still to this day, even though we live in, this, in the new covenant, he makes a way so easy. If you just confess your sins, I'm faithful, I'm just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And the last thing I, I took away from this was the whole deal today, especially in the study time, was this is all about mercy, 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 mercy. And in light of how important mercy is and how desperate I am for mercy, and then number two, how merciful God's nature is, that he's all about mercy, and number three, the high demand he puts on us to be merciful people. I just asked myself, last thing, in big letters, Am I a merciful person? Because Jude said this, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. What am I doing here right now? Well, I'm keeping myself in God's love as I'm waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring me eternal life. I'm waiting and expecting mercy from the merciful God. And I'm not merciful. The very thing that makes people mad and angry and impatient are things that I do all the time. We need to be forgiving. James says, if, if you're not merciful, you will not be shown mercy. And that an unmerciful heart is a sign that they have never received the mercy of God. They don't know how dependent they are for God's mercy. So all of this pleading for mercy from this merciful God who said, I, I am mercy, man, I'm, I'm right there. And then knowing how much I'm needing it. And then watching my own life. When people do things to tick me off or to irritate me, it doesn't happen very often. I mean, I live in a pretty civilized world. I mean, I'm around you guys all day long. That was so, that was so funny. You should have laughed, but that's okay. Nurture mercy in your heart by spending time with Jesus. And as you realize on your face and on your knees what a hopeless, helpless wretch you really are without Christ, no offense, you'll be a lot more patient and loving and merciful to others. You need Mercy so much. How could you not be merciful to others around you and be Mr. Uptight and rigid and ready to explode? How dare you? How dare you? How dare me? Humility, mercy, love. We're going to heaven to live forever with God and none of us deserve it. Let's live in that mercy. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible mercy. Thank you for your loving kindness. We love you.
soften our hearts. We just get so filled with pride and self-righteousness. Just, just humble us and let this prayer of dedication sink into our hearts. We see us here <laughs> pleading for the same kind of mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. Heavenly Father, as we go our ways, we ask for your mercy to protect us in all of our ways, to remind us of your truths, to give us the Holy Spirit to live by, that the fruit of the Spirit might overflow our hearts and lives. And may the songs that we sing be the way that we live in reality tonight, tomorrow, through the week, every day a sacrifice to you. We thank you. We commit ourselves to your care in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, don't forget, as always, there's people wanting to pray with you at the cross if you need uh, some additional prayers. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday.